Well, good evening and welcome once again to our Wednesday evening uh, slot when we just look at some of uh, the scriptures and we have been looking at uh, 1 John over the past weeks and possibly even months now, but we are getting toward the end of the letter, end of the book, and do trust again tonight that there would be some uh, benefit in uh, not only our own lives, but also uh, in the lives of people that we relate to. We come to a topic tonight that uh, is quite easy to speak about. We often uh, speak among ourselves on the subject, but it's a far more difficult uh, reality to live out. And I'm hoping that this evening's study can be of some kind of help uh, to us in this regard. So will not you bow your heads just with me and let's pray, uh, asking God to not only to help us to remember, to hide His Word in our heart, but also that we live it out, uh, His Spirit enabling us. Indeed, our Father, thank you for that which you have given us in the written Word. Uh, thank you for what you have accomplished through the living Word, our Lord Jesus. But Lord, we also pray tonight that your Spirit, the one who has uh, brought about the inspiration of the Scriptures, that he too would be at work as we seek to study this uh, passage of Scripture tonight. Keep us, Lord, from mere uh, talk. Uh, keep us, Lord, from just going through the motions even of study, accumulating knowledge. But, Lord, may we not only know your word, but may we also live your word. And we do pray for our church tonight. We do thank you for the Central Baptist Church. Thank you for the members, uh, for those that you've gathered together in the fellowship to, Lord, to be edified, but also to serve and to honor you. And we just commend each other to you tonight, uh, just in the un ongoing and the unfolding of life day by day, asking for your uh, spirit, your encouragement, and Lord, your blessing, your hand of blessing um, on us. And th this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're moving on in 1 John chapter 4. And uh, going to be looking at the rest of this chapter, but probably doing so, well, we'll be doing so over the next uh, two weeks. And so tonight, I'm actually going to focus on verse 7 down to verse 13. So do keep your Bible open. Uh, these, uh, this is the Word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us. So just so far tonight, and uh, consideration of this passage, there's much that can be said, much that can be learned uh, from this. I do want to introduce the passage, and I think it is always, uh, always useful to, to try and uh, look at some real life uh, examples that uh, helps us understand uh, the truth that, that God is revealing, helping us to understand some of the challenges that we face um, as well. 
some of you will remember, but it's a good number of years ago, uh, both my parents, my mom and dad, were diagnosed with, with cancer. Uh, it was not an easy season in their lives and, and, of course, in our own lives uh, as the extended family. They both struggled and, and struggled at the same time. Uh, one was in hospital and then the other one was struggling at home and then my dad would come home and then my mom would be in hospital and, and, and it, it was a tough, it was really a tough time. Well, my dad passed away first and then some 18 months later, my mother also passed away. And I think I would describe that season as uh, a dark season, a difficult season a season of great discouragement and uh, just the, the weightiness of, of them having the cancer and then us uh, also grieving their passing. Well, many years have passed since that uh, happened, 17 so years ago now. But something that remains in my mind was the support and the love that we received from the members and friends of Central Baptist Church. He was understanding. Uh, parents, my parents were in Johannesburg. We were living in Pretoria. Uh, there were regular visits that I undertook. There was tremendous support and, uh, and encouragement. And, and, and I remember that season as, as, as a season of, of appreciating being part of a church, uh, members, individual members who demonstrated something of genuine love uh, toward us. Well, that hasn't been an isolated experience. I think it would be true that in this current season of our own lives, uh, once again, we are seeing uh, something of, of genuine love, genuine care being shown us as a family during Carol's illness. And I'm sure you have your own stories, your own experiences. I hope you do that you're able to share, that you're able to reflect back on, uh, remembering and appreciating and just giving thanks to God for being part of a church, part of a, a group of Christians that really demonstrate love. And so I think it would be true to say that many of us in a general statement frequently have been recipients of love and kindness uh, from the family uh, at the Central Baptist Church. I think that happens and, and it's wonderful that it does happen. Now with those positive experiences of encouragement and love and support, it's very easy to uh, respond. It's very natural to respond to those who are giving you that kind of care and, and love and support and, and to give them care, love and support. And there's a, a, perhaps a, a summary statement we could say, since you have been good to me, I will seek to be good to you. That is a, a reciprocation. Uh, good to me and therefore I will be good to you. But looking at a, a negative situation, and to be honest, we know that we in the church are not perfect. We do have uh, blind spots. Sometimes it's so difficult to see them. Uh, we, we do have flaws. We are still being sanctified. And so in any community, in any church, there are going to be some negative experiences. 
And I again can look back over almost 30 years uh, in pastoral ministry and there have been instances, there have been occasions that have left me feeling quite disappointed and discouraged and uh, feeling like, wow, is this really what it is like to be in the local church? I can give examples, but I'll just uh, give them in, in a single word. I have experienced the reality of being misrepresented, a deliberate misrepresentation uh, to put me in a bad light. There was one occasion, I remember it clearly after a sermon, uh, where I received letters uh, accusing me of heresy and uh, hurtful, uh, not a pleasant experience. Uh, I've been told uh, along the way that uh, not only am I incompetent as a pastor, but also incompetent as a father. So those are negative experiences. Certainly we wouldn't want to describe those as occasions that we would want to see repeated. They're certainly not occasions where love is being demonstrated. Now the point I'm trying to make is that those negative experiences, and I'm sure you've had them too, uh, along the way you've been disappointed, you've been discouraged, you've been hurt. Well, those incidents can easily lead us to justify unloving responses and attitudes. And we have reasons. We, we believe that we can justify, we, we believe that we can state reasons why there are certain people that we just can't stand. Now, there may be some legitimate reasons why you should not and, and therefore you do not uh, love an individual or certain individuals within the local church. Now, it may be, and and again, we could have a large list. It could be that somebody has expressed unkind words to you. They've really hurt you. It may be that somebody has deliberately and intentionally ignored you. It it may be that somebody has not included you when they should have. Uh, But you've just felt offended. You you felt that... that, uh, there have been those or, or a certain person who has been rude to you. And so if we apply the previous logic that, that I tried to apply in, in the good examples, we can be left with this kind of uh, conclusion. Since you've been good to me, I'll be good to you. That's the, the, the conclusion of the good examples. The uh, conclusion of the negative examples is since you've been horrible to me, I'm going to be horrible to you. And the point I'm trying to make in this introduction is that would be the natural response of most people. And so this passage and and what we find in this book of 1 John is that God challenges that kind of natural response. See, your and my natural response would of dislike or even hatred towards those who have hurt us uh, has to be met uh, with the challenge that comes to us in this particular passage, uh, beloved, let us love one another. There's no exclusion in that particular uh, uh, command. God's command to us in the church, uh, in the church family, is that we are to love one another. We are to love those who are good and kind to us, 
and we are to love those who are unkind and horrible to us. And, and I know there is that within us that says, you know, my first response and, and that which I want to do is, is I don't want to love that person. How do you expect me to love that person after they did such and such uh, to me? Well, this uh, particular passage, and I'm going to give a very simple outline this evening. Uh, the arguments given here, there are arguments and reasons given why... You may ask the question, well, why, how can I? Why should I love uh, someone else? How, how can I love everybody in the local church? Well, this passage goes on and God through uh, uh, John, as the Holy Spirit uh, guides him, uh, gives us reasons, good reasons, clear reasons why we as believers ought to love one another. So number one, number one, love each other. Simply because of who God is. I'm going to elaborate, but we'll get there in a minute. Uh, A couple of messages ago, we did uh, speak about this topic of loving one another. And uh, in that particular message, I spoke about the fact that there are different kinds of love. I remember starting that message and and, and making the statement, everybody loves in, in some way, in some measure. And uh, in fact, going even a step further by saying that all people, most people, certainly uh, 99.9% of people have a natural capacity to love. However, we need to conclude that sentence. There is a natural capacity to love when there is the possibility to derive mutual or selfish benefit. It's the kind of you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back kind of approach to love. And in that message, I did uh, identify that kind of love as corrupted love, as distorted love, as imperfect love. That's not the love that John is speaking about in this current passage. He's, he's speaking about a deeper, uncorrupted, a, an unnatural kind of love. And, and it's the kind of love that is characterized by selflessness. Selflessness. It's the kind of love that John, John is exhorting uh, you as a member uh, of the local church, uh, as a leader, as a member, as, as a servant in a particular ministry, that, that you would practice selflessness in the expression of love. Well, he doesn't just leave us with the command to love in verse 7. He elaborates, giving an, ex- an explanation why this is required, why it's essential, but also why it is possible. And he, the reason he gives, Christians are to love each other because of who God is, verse 8, because God is love. One of the old um, systematic theologians, uh, Louis Burkhoff, uh, in his description of the attributes of God divides the attributes of God into two categories. There are those that are communicable attributes and there are those that are incommunicable attributes. And the blessing is that love is part of the communicable attributes. That's that which we have from God, that which God shares with us as those who are made in the image of God. Unlike 
God does not share the fact that he is all-powerful. That's an incommunicable attribute. But love, love is communicable. So, so we need to understand because of who God is, the, the evidence that, that this attribute of love was, was active, was active already even before the creation of, of the world. God expressing love. Jesus speaks of his father and uh, he says in John chapter 17 verse 24, uh, My glory which you have given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. The father loving the son expressing this kind of pure love to the son even before the creation of the world. It tells us, it therefore tells us that, that love and the giving of honor from the Father to the Son has been from all eternity. And it continues at the present time. John 3 verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. But it's not just the Father loving the Son. The love is reciprocal. John chapter 14 verse 31. But the world must learn. That I love the Father, this is Jesus speaking, that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So within the Trinity, within God, there is this expression of, of perfect love. Wayne Grudem, another systematic theologian, and I quote him, he says, The eternal love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father and of both for the Holy Spirit makes heaven a world of love and joy because each person of the Trinity seeks to bring joy and happiness to the other two. And so we need to comprehend. We, need, we really need to grasp the fact that God is love in his inmost being. It, 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 it means that, that, that God is not just love in, in, in one of the many activities or expressions of who he is, but rather that all of his activity is loving activity. So just to give you one example, if he judges, God judges in love. Yet he's, if his judging is in love, his loving is in justice. Often, People will say in the context of uh, sin, uh, God is a God of love. And, and their thinking is to extend that to say, well, because he's a God of love, he's going to condone sin. No, that's, that's the wrong conclusion. Uh, far from condoning sin, his love finds a way to expose that sin because God is light. And that is loving because God then so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, something that I'll pick up uh, later on in the this, in this study. So therefore, understanding, John able to say that love comes from God. God is the source of all love. And it stands to reason then that everybody who loves has been born of God. And I want to say that again. God is the source of love. And it therefore stands to reason that everyone who loves, and we're talking here about pure love, selfless love, knows 
God. This, the flip side, and, and we look at our passage, and these are difficult verses to see, but the flip side is also true. In verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is the source. And so if there's a connectedness with God, if there's a union with God, if there's a relationship in the family of God, then there must be an expression of love that is shown. And so for the loveless Christian, okay, that's not even possible. For the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to be born of God, and uh, for what it's worth, this is a statement that I think makes the point, is like claiming to have been born of Chinese parents in reality looking like an Arab. No, it's not possible. It's not possible. So not loving as a professing Christian You fail, and I would fail, to manifest the nature of him who we claim to be our Father in heaven, born of God and friend of God, to know God. And so love, we could say, love is as much a sign of the new birth as righteousness, as the change that takes place in the new creature that comes about as a result of being born again. So the first argument, the first argument that we have to grapple with and really meditate and think upon is that uh, loving one another, uh, love amongst believers is based on his eternal nature. But I want to move on now. And and the second argument, uh, he bases on God's historical gift. And uh, if we have a look at verse 8, the God who is loved, loved us, verse 10, and expressed his love. He has the historical gift by sending his son to earth. And so my second point simply is this. Love each other because of what God has given. So as we think about the difficult relationships, we ought to be thinking as Christians, well, what what has God given me? What what took place historically in this passage that that, that impacts us in the present, that, that will influence us in our relationships? You see, you and you and I uh, may say, I just cannot love so-and-so or such-and-such a person. Naturally speaking, as I've already pointed out earlier on in the first point, that may be right. Naturally speaking, our love will be corrupted. If, if you don't scratch my back, I'm not going to scratch your back. But what we cannot ignore, that when somebody becomes a believer, something happens spiritually to that person in terms of their nature and giving capacity and ability to love in an unnatural way. Have a look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. And it doesn't stop there with a full stop. He sent his only son into the world. And there we have the purpose clause that we might live through him. So pre-conversion, dead spiritually, dead in our transgressions and sins. No sensitivity, no inclination to the things of God, to the person of God. We prefer lesser things. That that's the natural state of, of humanity, spiritually dead. <clears throat> but as a result of what historically 
was achieved by Jesus when the Father sent the Son, there is a bringing about of what he calls living life through him. So what does that do? When spiritual life uh, comes about in the life of a believer, the expression of natural love, that mutual and, and selfish benefit, changes. And, and it's a transformation that takes place over time, but, but there's certainly it changes. There's evidence of it. It's expressed in some measure. We can say that in different ways. It changes to unnatural love where there's a greater willingness, a greater desire to love selflessly, to love those people who get under our skin. You see, again, to repeat, there was a time, if you're a true believer, where you were dead to the love of God. A time came, however, when you were made alive spiritually. And so in that process, you begin to see, you begin to see the love of God uh, shown and then worked out in your life as one of uh, his children. Well, the visible expression of God's love we know is him sending Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The well-known scripture from John 3.16. We see this also in verse 9 here. Uh, that, that God sent his only son into the world. And so, so what, what is there for us to see? Well, see something of the love of God that, that this God who has existed in all eternity, this God who has no beginning, this God who has no need, this God sends his son to take on human flesh to this world, to the sinful world. Surely. That ought to move us in some way to see that this, <laughs> this is the greatest kind of gift possible. Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine verse fifteen, Paul just, uh, puts it this way: "It's an indescribable gift." But there's a, another aspect to that in that we see in verse ten that God gave His Son; He not only sent His Son to this world. But he sent his son to die. And, and, and therefore, it's not just sending his son so that he can spend three years in, in public ministry to teach some valuable eternal truths. Well, he did that, but that's not all he did. He, he, he didn't just come to spend those years on this earth and, and, and from his birth right through to his death to be some kind of an example to those people he encountered and an example to those of us who read about his life. It's much more than that. God gave his son to die. You see, in reality, teaching an example just won't change the heart of a sinner because rebels don't want to be taught and quite frankly, they don't care about good examples. They, they, they will rebel against that kind of thing. So God addresses the problem of rebellion and, and hardness of heart. He sends his son to die the death of a criminal. So verse 10, he sent his son as an a propitiation, or as the NIV puts it, an atoning sacrifice for our sins, appeasing the wrath of God, uh, covering uh, the guilt um, of our sin, uh, rendering us not guilty, imputing his righteousness to us 
and him taking on our unrighteousness and suffering the punishment for that. And, and, and there's a very important thing that we need to see here because uh, God gave his son to die for sinners. So he didn't die for nice people. And so as we look around the world, in, uh, we, we not, they aren't nice people, <laughs> uh, not perfect people. Uh, God sent his son to die for sinners, uh, for rebels, for, for idol worshippers, for people who are disobedient and blasphemers and God-haters and self-serving individuals who, who, who want to do their own thing and who want to marginalize or, or completely eradicate God of the agenda. God comes. In the person of Jesus, the Father sending his Son to die for sinners, to secure salvation, uh, dealing with their sin. And, and so, again, no one who has been to the cross and experienced something of the benefit of that work done by Jesus, seeing this, this immeasurable, unmerited love for me, for you as a sinner, how, how do we go back then to a life of selfishness? It flies in the face of the intention of what Jesus came to do. And so the implication in verse 11 is very clear. Verse 11, if God so in this manner loved us, we ought also to love one another. And so this is not an option. It's not an obligation. Uh, it's a duty. It's a duty, but God even gives us the inclination to fulfill the duty. So it's not a legalistic duty. It's an obligation and obedience resulting from, if you love me, you will obey me. And so, again, just in summary, the first two points, the first argument for uh, love amongst believers is based on God's eternal nature. The second argument is based on God's historical gift. And the third reason uh, is, my third point, love each other because of what God is doing now. It is absolutely crucial that we think backwards, that we reflect on what was accomplished by Jesus when he lived on the earth, uh, when he... Uh, suffered death on the cross, when, when he was subjected to the wrath of God, when he was laid in a tomb, when on the third day he was raised from the dead. We, we need to consider that. Redemption accomplished. But, but the unfolding benefit of that redemption accomplished. How, how does that play out? How, how God who is love still loves in the present. It's not its historical uh, accomplishment but he loves by continuing to work in and through his people who are now not dead in their sins, but alive in Christ in the present. Have a look at verse 12. In fact, before I read verse 12, just to say that his love is seen in the love shown by his children. So verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What, what is he saying here? Let me quote John Stott. John Stott explains this. He says there were Old Testament theophanies. What were they? They were manifestations. They were revelations of God. 
but in human disguise. They were not visions of God as he is in himself. Uh, we need to look ahead. We need to look to the future. The fuller vision of God lies in the future when Jesus appears. We shall see him as he is, back in chapter 3 and verse 2. But now in the present, the unseen God, who was at a point in time, 2,000 plus years ago, revealed in his Son, is now revealed in his people, in us as professing Christians, when we love one another. So God's love is seen in your loving selflessly because your love is his love imparted to you by the Holy Spirit. Our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling presence. Verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so this phrase, his love made complete in us, is a challenge, is a challenge because we know we're still on a journey. We're still heading toward that particular place. It is as if God's love in us is at this point in time in embryo form, it's seed form. But if we practice this kind of selfless love, the love of God within us will become more and more fully grown until complete. So God's love in our lives is brought to its intended full measure when it flows through through us to other people. Well, let me try uh, just conclude with a few implications. Let me repeat again, and it's a challenge to me as well. All of us Christians are to love one another. There are no acceptable excuses for not loving each other within the body of Christ, dealing specifically with the church. And so if you've been touched by God, by the love of God, then the natural response of the unconverted person, the spiritually dead person, if you're good to me, I'll be good to you, changes. And it changes to even if you're horrible and unloving to me, I will love you. So that person that always ignores you, you will still go to that person, greet them. Show some, show some kindness to them. And so this unnatural response of loving is possible because, again, God is love and we need to resemble our Father in heaven. That was the first point. And the second point, God revealed his love by sending his son to die for you as a sinner. And in like manner, you also ought to love each other because you are now alive in Christ. Redemption accomplished has been is now redemption applied. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You have a new heart, heart of flesh, replaced the heart of stone, and gives you different disposition. And then thirdly, God is presently at work in us as believers by His Spirit, so that the world may see His love. And so the question tonight. A uh, very searching question is, do you, do you love, do I love brothers and sisters in the local church, in the body of Christ? And as we do so, remembering that this is due to the saving grace of God. 
And, and, and the, the harder challenge, the more difficult question is, is there this persistent uh, hatred, a digging in of your heels, a refusal to love your brothers and sisters? If that's the case, there may well be something wrong with your understanding and your experience of conversion. And there needs to be a revisiting to the cross, a, a, an understanding again, a, a, an examination of, of what it really means to be a recipient of the grace of God. And so encouraging you tonight, I hope that we go forward as a church that, that knows how to express uh, the love of the God that is our Father. So God bless you. There is uh, uh, a screen. Jay, if you put that screen on, some questions uh, for any of you who are sitting in a group that you can discuss this very difficult subject. And I want to urge you not to fall back on your logic or your reasoning, but to go to this passage and just those few verses, read them again, underline them, draw circles around them and answer those questions in discussion. And Lord, I pray tonight, my prayer tonight is that you would help me, help us uh, as, a, as a church, as a local body, as individuals to uh, show something of this uncorrupted love, this pure love that comes from you in the context of ministry, in the context of people that we live amongst, that we serve amongst, that we uh, worship with. Help us, Lord, we pray, we confess our, our weakness our tendency prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, uh, even in this regard. But may you continue to sanctify us and teach us and grow us. And may we be those who are seen to demonstrate the love of the Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.